Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to My Friends in the North and today I'm really delighted to welcome to the show an author you absolutely need to know more about. And if your kids don't have a copy of her latest book, The Incredible Record Smashers, which made the Times Book of the Week, well, what are you waiting for? Go out and get it. Welcome to the show, Jenny Pearson. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I really want to start by talking about where you are in your career right now. I think, you know, knowing a little bit about you, you are on the way to becoming an established author. But right now, it feels like you're on the cusp of some really great success. Your latest children's book has been included on the Waterstones Children's Book Prize Younger Readers shortlist. You're a Costa shortlisted author and the gongs keep coming. I'm following your Twitter feed, Aaron <laughs> How does that feel? It's obviously wonderful and exciting and beyond but beyond what I could ever have imagined um I got into writing quite late in life and um it's not something that I really thought that I'd be able to do I was never a writer as a kid um I read a lot when I was in primary school but I never never dreamt that I would write I was never the kid that had their work read out or on the walls I was very sort of middle so it's come as quite a surprise um, to all my friends and family, as well as me. They're a little, they're a little bit bemused to start with, like, oh, you've written a book. But um, yeah, so it's hard to believe, but just just incredibly exciting. So did people, was there a little bit of disbelief when you said, oh, by the way, I've written a book and actually a publisher wants it? They were all a bit like, pardon, Jenny? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then some of my friends afterwards were like, oh, no, I can see that. You do like to like hold the talking stick when you're around. <laughs> so I do like to tell a story. So, um, but yeah, I, it was, I've always been sporty. That has been my thing. I've always been into like running and swimming and things. Yeah, I had never mentioned writing before. And I think it's something when you start doing, you feel a little bit um, almost embarrassed about that. Subconscious. Yeah, self-conscious. Like I remember being really self-conscious if I was writing on trains before I got into I hate people reading over my shoulder. Peer review is really important, but I hate people until I've got to a point where I think it's acceptable. If someone tries to read over my shoulder, I get really cross. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just, I felt really like, um, in you know, an imposter almost. And then I did get a bit more confidence when I got a, got a deal because then you think, oh, somebody does, who knows what they're talking about likes it. So yeah, it's been, it's been a completely unexpected but very happy journey into publication. Okay, so let's follow that um, down at the, uh, the route a little bit. So you're actually a primary school teacher by trade and we'll come back to that. But writing is clearly a passion. Um, who do you write for and when did you first start then? So obviously you said later, what does that mean? Oh, quite late. It wasn't until I moved up north um, and it was because I hadn't really, I hadn't got a job. I've always worked full time and I was looking after Douglas because he wasn't in nursery at the time. This is your little one. My young, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think you know, no, no offense to Douglas, but three-year-old <laughs> child banter isn't that <laughs> stimulating. So I thought that um, I needed something to do. I need, and I couldn't find a local swimming team, or and I didn't want to do like any more running marathons because these can't take anymore. And then I found an online um, writing course, and I've been playing. It, I think I've been thinking about it for a while, maybe giving it a go from 
teaching and reading stories to my classes I think I was like oh these this is a really lovely thing to be able to do to share a story and I thought I'd love to write one that kids would enjoy so I think it had been in the back of my mind but I can't remember like the first time I actually sat down and had a go at writing I was probably drunk to be honest it probably gave me you know had a few glasses of wine and gave me I can do this I can yeah, do exactly. this <laughs> like I think I can dance and sing when I am but um and uh, yeah I must have it I just kept, I think I had the, finally had the time when I got to Durham to actually give it a proper go because, you know, I, I wasn't, wasn't working full, full time. And before I was coaching netball in my spare time as well as headspace. You had time and headspace. Yeah, exactly. That is a privilege. That really is because not everybody has, has that. So I was very lucky in a way to get that time. No, that's great. So my son has both the super miraculous journey of Freddie Yates and the incredible record smashers. So that's the first and, and the second one that has just been published. We read the first together and irritatingly, because I was very much enjoying our evening like reading time, he loved the second one too much that so he jumped ahead of me uh, and he couldn't put it down. So, I mean, there in itself tells you that's a nine-year-old boy who has thoroughly enjoy both books. Now, what I was fascinated by is that actually there's quite a lot of giggles in the books, but you're not frightened about tackling quite big subject areas. So there's loss and there's depression. So how do you develop your plot lines and why was it important that you covered that kind of topic? And um, I think the fact that my books are funny and include those deeper themes are one of the reasons that they're doing well, because I think when we think funny books, we think they can only be one thing. Um, I, my family and myself, if we have hard times, we always need humour to help us through it. It's if, you know, if you, if you don't laugh. The light and dark. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what life's like. And I think books need all of it. They need the whole spectrum in. And I think, again, being a teacher, I've been a teacher for 16 years and I've seen kids, you know, some of them had a really tough little lives and lots to deal with. You know, I've had bereavements in my class, whether it be, you know, a parent or a sibling or a grandparent year after year, unfortunately, and kids dealing with parents with mental health issues. You know, these are the challenges that our children are facing. And I think as grown-ups, we want to protect them from that. Naturally, we do. But I think we need to they, we need to be able to find ways we can open up the conversations with them because it is affecting them. And we don't want kids to feel like they're the only ones or they're on their own. So the way I want to do it I I feel like if you're writing funny and kids kind of trust you like it's like you're giving them a sort of safety a comfort blanket by giving the humor and then you kind of allowed to sort of navigate deeper themes and they know that you you might do something a bit we're going to talk about you know his mum died but then later on we're going to bring them back up with a bit of humor so like we do in life so it's reminding them that Things are difficult. We all have difficulties, but there is still joy to have. So, yeah, I think with Freddie Yates, the grief one came after my stepdad died. And he was like a grandparent to my eldest. And I can remember having the conversation with him, you know, about, you know, what's happened. And it's like, oh, God, I don't know the answers to this. And you think, actually, it's okay to say that. But just to remind him that even though, you know, Grandpa Huggers isn't here anymore, we can still love him. And I think that's something you've got to include in children's literature the whole spectrum of life because they're they're experiencing it 
Absolutely. And do you know what? That I had the conversation with Ben, you know, my, my youngest about this. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, it's still funny because they keep talking about them. And I just was always, it was really nice. And actually that often it isn't what happens for, for children. People stop talking about the person that has died or is missing for whatever reason because they don't want to hurt them. And actually they need to hear that person still in their narrative because they've been part of their life. And I think I do think you do that beautifully. And like I said, the light and the dark with it works extremely, extremely well. It's, and that's really very difficult thing to achieve no it's it really genuinely I was when, when um when he started to talk to me about the the, the plot a lot of the second one I was like what have I given him but actually it's brilliant no but it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and we had a re- we've had some really good discussions on the back of it so it's it's helpful so um you kind of answered this but you've got kids and of course you've got pupils that you're surrounded by every day in the day job does this inspire you it sounds like very much you look and listen and understand their struggles and that's what kind of kind of dovetails into your writing work absolutely I don't think I could be an author if I wasn't a teacher like I am in a really fortunate and privileged position as a writer to be surrounded by these inspiring kids every day you know and watching them and how they interact with each other I think there there is a tendency sometimes in children's books you've always got like a bully or a you know a, a a good kid, a bad kid. And actually they're all not one thing at any one time. You know, they do have squabbles. But they're human, aren't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, they're funny and they are clever and they, yeah, they will bicker. Um, But the compassion that I see and the empathy in the classroom. Young kids tend to have that, don't they? Compassion and a really fun and interesting perspective on life some of the things that my kids say they were nine or eleven have me howling but also it's really really very thoughtful I'm like that's a bit bloody deep (laughs) it's really astonishing some of the things they come out with and some some of the stuff is so hilarious that I have used conversations in in my books like when we were doing an RE lesson on miracles and they got very don't judge my teaching but they got very confused about um Jesus helping the leopards (laughs) <laughs> and no, I, I well, he probably he loved animals too. He loved animals yeah. too. I know, but it's just it just feeds <laughs> in, and I think that's one of the comments I've got is that my my character, my child characters, seem quite real, yeah. and I'm very pleased about that. That's great. How how old are the kids that you teach? I I always used to be in year six for years and years, and year five. But um, last year I went down to year three, and I'm with year four now, so they're nine. All oh, right, okay. So you have that so same as my youngest. Then that same makes an awful lot of sense. <laughs> same age, and I'm my eldest is in year four, and um, during lockdown when I was homeschooling him, despite being a year four teacher and teaching the exact same curriculum that he was doing didn't trust me <laughs> so I think- well natural I can understand that <laughs> mine wouldn't do anything either so and I just think it was probably doubly hard for teachers especially knowing <laughs> what they were missing out on actually do you know this is a good segue into my next question so I think um our young people and I mean children up to two even early 20s have had a really particularly hard time doing COVID I've got three step kids as well and you know the, the difference is from nine to 22 um you know, they've had a lot of freedoms taken away and everybody talks about resilience. What do you think our young people need right now? Um, the resi- So we've heard a lot recently about catching up and it kind of drives me crazy. Like I think the kids in... They play and social interaction, don't they? Uh, and catching up to what? Catching up to what? You know, the exams that we set, 
you know, the tests that we decide, what are we, what does that matter when they reach, you know, because they'll get there eventually, they'll learn these things. It doesn't matter if, if it's not now, you know, it, we have to look up, we have to just look after their well-being. And resilience is one of those things that it was a real buzzword. And I, and yes, we all need to be resilient. We do need to be able to take the knocks and move on. But we also need to make our kids feel like they've got the support and, you know, the space and the safe, you know, safe environment to be able to say when they are vulnerable or when they're not happy and that's okay. And how can we talk about that? Because, you know, I think, especially when I grew up in the 80s, we were quite resilient. My school motto was onwards, onwards, (laughs) travel on, keep going, which is great. And I do kind of use that a lot, but sometimes... I'm not great myself at recognizing when I need to like, you know, say. When's the pause, when to hit the pause button. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think students have had a really hard time. I would have hated being at university during COVID. You know, that's not what it's about. And they've been vilified for doing, you know, things that we'd all want to do. I think we just need to give them space and time to remember what they enjoy, you know, relationships. So there's been they have learned other things so I'm I know I I um get the chance to co-parent because I I know I now live with somebody else and obviously they split the temperature in their dad's house and mine but you know what that time I got dedicated time with them that I wouldn't have had during COVID not just that by way of just the way of life then they had to learn different skills so they had to probably they probably did more in the house than they would have done otherwise so they but they've really enjoyed it so like they do more by making their beds and putting things in the wash basket and put washers on and, and um, doing some cooking. I probably would have been a bit slack. And that's a good, I think it's good parenting to teach your kids that. But you know what? They are a little bit spoilt because I tend to do that. Or I'll give them the morning and make their breakfast. They're now making their own breakfast. It's a bloody joy. I'm like that. But say, I think there was lots of things where I think people forget that they have learned other things. Yeah, there are. I worry because I think the big thing that we have to watch out for is there's a real divide between people who have and, and people who haven't. Don't. I agree. Yeah. You know, a mum who's a nurse working shifts, four kids at home with only a mobile phone, how are they able to access like the curriculum and things? So um, I think that's where we need to think about how we, how we check where children are rather than saying, you know, they've got to catch up, they've got to catch yeah. up. How do we level the playing field so they've got the access to the resources that they need in order to, to be able to, to learn? Now, yeah. I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. So talk to me a little bit about your career path. So I mentioned earlier you were a teacher. Was that something you always wanted to do? Did you do anything before? What did you study? How, how did that all come about? Uh, I was all over the place. I had no idea what I wanted to do, to be honest. Um, I changed A-levels midway through and I went to university did sports science and was determined that I wasn't going to become a PE teacher and after I finished my sports science degree I went I got a place to do medicine at King's oh, wow. and I spent a summer in Salisbury District Hospital basically horizontal because every time somebody the first day I was in A&E and a man came in with a tiny I said an axe before but it's a tiny like little chisel thing and it was in his head and I hit the floor and it was just constant (laughs) I really I've really really struggled um and I came away from that thinking I think at that time in my life I wasn't ready to do it like now I think I've you've had kids you can do anything now (laughs) exactly um so then I worked in pensions like was it self-invested personal pensions and um 
that wasn't a brilliant career move for me. I wasn't fantastic. I can't imagine you doing that. No, I, when I when I left and I um, was clearing out all the sort of <laughs> debris down the side of my desk, like monster munch packets and things, um, I found a check for forty thousand pounds that I should have invested. Um, so <laughs> luckily, the investment had gone down. But um, yeah, I think that was. I think everyone was quite pleased I was leaving that. <laughs> and, um, and I think going from. I wanted to have a socially responsible career. And I think that's where the medicine came into it. And so that's when I leaned, eventually went into teaching. And I started off doing P and then went, so P and A level and then went down until I was in primary. And I think once you get in a classroom with a group of kids and you bond with that first class, like it's just where I should be around children. I just love it. And are you balancing that okay with the writing? So you, are you working part-time in a school or how are you doing it? I have had to go part-time and I'm very lucky because the girl that I work with is brilliant. She's the um, deputy head there and she, and I'm teaching at the end of the week. So I used to teach at the start of the week. So that's by the end of the week, because she's so good. They all know it. I'm coming, it's easy days. Everyone's happy. <laughs> um, I've got two days now and I really want to hold on, like hang on to them. And I get, I'm getting more requests to do things during the week. And I'm trying to say no, only Monday to Wednesday, because I don't want to lose that. It's such a big part of who I am, I think, being a teacher. And I think it'd be quite lonely just typing away and it's good to work for somebody else as well sometimes. Yeah, I guess also that's where you get some of your inspiration. That's some of you get you have a real handle on what's bothering kids at a given point in time. I can understand yeah. that and, completely. Yeah, and it's nice to be part of a staff that are all working for like a common goal, you know, which is setting these kids up so they can be the best that they can be. Teachers. I have huge respect for teachers. So amen to that. I mean, I couldn't do that. So uh, it's, it's good to have people like you who will. Recently, my agency, Astute.Work, had the privilege of launching a charity called Children's Cancer North. And as you know, that makes life better for children um, who've had cancer or with cancer in the northeast in Cumbria. Now, despite everything you've just explained in terms of you've just had book two out, you're working, um, I'm really grateful that you generously gave your time free of charge to work with some of the children involved with the charity to write a poem about the ring of the bell. Now, for those who don't know what that means... Um, a lot of cancer um, sufferers, people of cancer patients, they ring the bell to mark the end of treatment. Why was it important, despite everything going on in your life at this point, to get involved? Well, first of all, it's children, isn't it? Helping out children. And I feel like that's what I want to do with my time. Um, it's incredibly inspirational when you're reading like the information about the charity, what they do, and the massive difference that they can have and I think as a parent it is that thing that terrifies you the most I honestly think when I look on my social media feeds and things it's full of people who are doing like sponsorship you know sponsored runs or sponsored I think people do want to help out they generally want to help out with good causes and I actually it was such a privilege to be in a position where I could do that um so yeah obviously you just jump at the chance to be able to do something that could help kids and and their parents and it was yeah it had a profound effect on me meeting them in that zoom 
Oh, well, thank you again. Because like I say, it was the week where you were literally launching book two. And uh, it, it was that the poem was really very emotional. And uh, I know that has landed really well with families, but also supporters of the charity. Um, so thanks again. Here's a question. And you've mentioned exercise a few times, but I googled, I was having a little bit of a Google, Jenny Pearson bio, Jenny Pearson background. <laughs> and um, is it true that you're a champion swimmer? I saw something about being a European champion. Is that is that right? Is that what you do to relax outside of work? It's so weird that, um, that you know, two years ago, you could Google and find nothing about me. But yes, um, when I, I used to swim when I was a kid, you know, get up every morning and, and I, I didn't, I wasn't, ever quite good enough and I made the decision at university that I wasn't going to swim I was going to have a lovely time um which I did um but then after I had my kids again I wanted something else and so when Douglas I think I think it was the year he was born there was the European um championships for masters so it is in an age group so it was in the 35 to 39 age so I was European champion um which was very excited I got to swim in the Olympic pool in London oh wow yeah it was it was a really big lovely event and yeah I but I look I can't believe that I had the time to do that now because I can I think in training and stuff I was still breastfeeding and you have to wear quite tight swing costumes and (laughs) the pain of having to go and express in between races and stuff but um, braver lady than me but go girl that's amazing I, I do you know what though I haven't swum well pools have been in lockdown but I haven't swum for ages yeah what's time <laughs> it is, it is time. it's just uh, yeah netball now is what I'm doing oh I love that I always I used to love netball at school I've always been jealous of people who found groups ever since I've never quite managed to find the time to do that um we're almost out of time but I've got, I have to ask this question of course as an author it's one I have to ask what book are you reading at the moment or listening to because I appreciate that like me if you like running I tend to do it through audible although other obviously other brands are available um what are you listening to while reading and how do you rate it um, well I I listen to podcasts when I run but um I I, I read kids books because it's informing my lessons and it helps my own writing. I can't remember the last time I've read an adult's book, which is quite sad. I've just finished Uma and the Answer to Absolutely Everything by Sam Copeland, which is, um, it's a book, it's hilarious. Again, it touches on grief um, and a girl finds an AI. There's drunk alpaca in there and a dog with shaved eyebrows. It's hilarious. Oh, again, wow does deeper things and I've just started um Rob Bidolf's I've got an advanced copy his new middle grade book called Peanut Jones and the Illustrated City which is fantastic so he illustrated the um Super Miraculous Journey of Freddie Yates so I've got the real privilege of getting to read his ahead of time so you've got that advance that's such a teaser we're gonna have to wait till that hits the bookshelves but obviously worth looking out for oh well listen Jenny thank you so much for your time today your compelling listen as well as compelling reading and I really hope it inspires everyone to go and buy a copy of both books and any others that are forthcoming did I hear by the way did I read somewhere that you've got another one on the go that one's with a publisher did I read that right I've I've got another I don't, they haven't announced it yet, but I've got another four books. Well, so I've, wow. got, I've, got, I've got seven books in total coming out of Osborne eventually. So That's incredible. I've, I've written six of them. 
I owe them one. But I've got some time to do it because obviously I've got to wait for them to come out. So yes, they've been brilliant because they've really sort of supported me and put their faith in me by giving me that extra deal. Because it's not been easy getting books off the shelves during COVID. No, I bet. Oh, well, so much to look forward to. Well, thanks to everybody too for catching up with the latest My Friends in the North podcast. If you'd like to keep up with Jenny, you can search for her Facebook page, which you can find in the Jenny Pearson author. Or why not give her a follow on Twitter at J underscore C underscore Pearson. And if you've got a story you'd like to share or you or anyone you know might make an interesting guest, please do drop me a line at sarah at astute.work. Take care and see you next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to My Friends in the North with Sarah Waddington. You can find Sarah on Twitter at Mrs. Underscore Wads or get involved with the podcast by emailing Sarah at astute.work. See you next time. Mm-hmm.